Oh, you, you, we missed the dick of a cat yep, outtake? We missed the dick of a cat joke. Uh, Sorry. Molly. Do it again. <laughs> It's Friday, May 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and Geert Wilders, a number one fan. And with me today are Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Scottish space program lobbyist, and Polly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and Cummings expert. Yeah, we are... Uh, we came back from our little break, Ascension Day break, and yeah. uh, we re- rebuilt our blanket fortresses and we're back again. Indeed. Um, and but did, Mark, did we all feel refreshed from our break? Uh, no, not really, actually. No, yeah, me <laughs> not neither. at all. Funny that. We spent the entire weekend trying to paint the outside of the house, which was thwarted by the shitty Dutch weather. So, no, I don't feel very refreshed because now yeah. I have to do it again this weekend. Yeah, oh, that's, uh, that sucks. Yep. That'll teach you. Yeah. yeah, and, and well, Gordon, how, how was Drenthe? Because you left, uh, you, you left uh, the Hague for Drenthe. I, I went off to uh, deepest, darkest Drenthe. Yes, I went on a journey of about 180 miles, 240 <laughs> kilometers, which of course is is, is permissible uh, here. Yeah. My eyesight is fine. Uh, I can say categorically because <laughs> uh, I could see all the way. So that's that's good news. And it was very nice and uh, relaxing up in um, in Drenthe. Yeah. Um, uh, Were there any castles in Drenthe? Uh, were any castles? No, there were, there were there were no castles, and uh, mm. we didn't. Um, uh, we kept socially distance from people. From uh, you guys at are all stealing times. my job description. Talk about your own <laughs> job description, Gordon. This is to do with the SpaceX launch, right? Yeah, that, uh, that was supposed to take off um, this week uh, at Cape Canaveral. Everyone was getting very excited, and then I think about ten minutes to go to launch, they cancelled because of the weather. Yeah. Something like that, like yeah. That, yeah, that, that, and um, you know, it was. Uh, I, I saw it on the news later, and they said there was a big storm, and I just sort of looked, thought uh, that's just what like um, the Scottish Highlands look like in July. That's not a storm. That's just no. like a bit of cloud. And yeah, thought, exactly. Which is why I th- immediately thought that all space launches should be relocated to Scotland because they wouldn't put up with that crap there. Well, they, would just, they would just have a fact break and try again in 20 minutes. The real problem, they couldn't try again in 20 minutes because they were launching to the International Space Station, which is moving. So you have yeah. to like have this precise tra- yeah. trajectory, unfortunately. Glas- Glaswegians wouldn't care about that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Scottish people might not care about that. <laughs> or they're just, yeah, just going to have to relocate it to the Netherlands where we have Bauerada, where we can uh, actually look yeah. up the weather. Yeah. And, uh, and see when it's going to rain or not. So uh, we don't have that. to cancel it 10 minutes in advance. We can just cancel it two weeks in advance because we know exactly when it's going to rain. Yeah, to, to the minute. Even though the radar um, half the time doesn't predict uh, no, when the rain happens or how long it's going to last. No, it's yeah. pretty bad, actually. But in theory, <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good thought. Yeah. And Molly, uh, yeah, we were uh, uh, accidentally stealing your job, job description, but tell, yeah. tell us what, uh, what, what that's all about. Well, I'm as I'm sure most of our listeners are aware, there has been this absurd, ridiculous, insane scandal coming out of the UK this week. Um, and I am not really one to care much about British politics. I am not a <laughs> British person, so I don't really have a lot vested in it. But it just became so insane, I actually lobbied that we scrap doing a Dutch OPEF and just talk about this as the OPEF. Exactly, but, yeah. but we couldn't possibly allow that. We so, because um, there was already too much good Dutch OPEF That's already. true, yeah. there was yeah. too much good yeah. Dutch OPEF. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, a ad- senior advisor to Boris Johnson 
was discovered to have broken lockdown rules like 65 separate ways um, <laughs> yeah. in every possible way insane press conference where he attempted to defend driving in a car with his wife and child his wife who was exhibiting symptoms of coronavirus so he could like look at a castle and he claimed that it was so he could test his eyesight it was it was totally <laughs> bad it was it was insane yeah. It was it was like an episode of one of those um, uh, you know on the off, uh, fly on the wall satires like uh, yeah. the thick of it, yeah. Know, except it was playing out in real time. It was quite. And then quite the, amazing. the UK Civil Service Twitter account tweeted, "Can you imagine what it's like to work with these assholes?" And I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that person probably got fired. <laughs> then the trending hashtag to discuss this whole thing on Twitter was Cumgate because the guy's last name is Cummings. Like it just didn't stop the absurdity yeah. of this it just kept ridiculous up. scandal. Yeah. And yeah. in this press conference, he was just basically reading this 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 enormously long letter that one of his attorneys had written. Yes, uh, and it really reminded me of this sketch of uh, from um, Little Britain, where this politician comes out of his house with his wife and his children, and then, uh, was involved in one sort of ridiculous uh, uh, scandal, and then reads a letter of his lawyer where he tried to fix what happened. Yeah. Even though yeah, it's... I saw, uh, someone shared that with me as well. The, 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 I think in the sketch he, he reads a statement explaining how he had ended up somehow in his car in the back alley close to King's Cross and accidentally yeah. falling <laughs> on top of another sort of much younger man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I believe, it was a, I believe it was a recurring segment. So they, the, uh, every week this politician right. came out and then gave some sort of ridiculous explanation of some sort of scandal. Mm. But it really reminded me of that. The, yeah. Also, yeah. he turned up half an hour late to his own press conference. That was also <laughs> yeah. a thing that happens. Like, just every detail about this is like completely insane. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, superb. Yeah, but that's not the op for the week. Uh, no, it's not all, the because we got some other op from last week that was so good we've kept it. Yes, for a week. but first, yeah. why has Paul become Gert Wilders' biggest? Oh fan? yes, that's true. As well, yeah. <laughs> oh, what I meant to say is that Gert Wilders became my biggest fan. Oh, is that so? What uh, have, yeah. what racist thing have you done to uh, attract the affections <laughs> yeah. of Gert Wilders? To earn this honor, yeah. I well, thought Donald uh, Trump had become your biggest fan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he too. I'm. Uh, uh, they're going to send a forklift truck to me so I can. Uh, <laughs> Uh, drive around in it because apparently all these uh, right-wing populist politicians uh, drive around in forklift trucks. Yeah. Uh, but that aside, no. Um, I, as as everybody on Twitter knows, Geert Wilders uh, blocks basically everybody on yeah. that website. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe everyone on this podcast has been blocked by Geert Wilders. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was blocked in the past as well. But what is very special, uh, I, I was once unblocked. So he blocked me, and then he unblocked me. So all of a sudden, I saw his tweets back in my timeline. And that was uh, kind of amazing because I never heard of someone who was unblocked by Geert Wilders. Yeah, that's kind of alarming but, as well. I thought. Kind of alarming as well. Yeah. But uh, this week, I found out that he blocked me again. <laughs> but as we were saying, uh, the, the op-air for the week is not Dominic Cummings, as tempting as that is, uh, because we got some great op-air that we've actually held over from last week. So it yeah. was so good. Yeah. It was just too good because yeah. last week we we decided not to do an episode, but this op-ep was almost a reason why we why we where we uh, almost decided to. Yeah, do, we do debated an just doing an emergency episode so we could discuss this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we kept it. So um, here we go. That's, here we go. Former VVD MP Sibren van Haga announced he became a member of Forum for Democracy, despite Baudet's earlier statement. Van Haga would not be welcome in his party. Van Haga, you might remember, was kicked out of the VVD in 2019 after a number of scandals, 
his real estate business called Shopper the Pop BV. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what is the name of this business, Paul? Shopper the Pop BV. Um, I'm sorry, wait, a... what's the name of this business, Paul? <laughs> Shopper the Pop BV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous name, but, uh, but at the same time, it's a great name. Yeah. Because he's a ridiculous man. So it's he, he is a ridiculous man. Yeah. yeah, his real estate business uh, had breached uh, a number of very strict real estate rules in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that led to some sort of upheaval. Uh, the VVD's integrity committee um, looked into it and uh, they basically forced Van Haga to put his business at arm's length because of the scandals. But that didn't stop him from aggressively contacting a number of his complaining tenants. And as a result, he was expelled from the Faith Day party. And as we know, you you, you must be doing really bad stuff if you yeah. uh, are going to be expelled from the Faith Day party. Because I can't remember anyone ever being expelled from that party, even yeah. though they have been involved in so many scandals. Van Haga decided to keep his seat rather than giving it back to the Faith Day. And he went on as an independent MP despite his earlier position against this so-called seat-snatching. As a result, the coalition lost its majority in the Tweede Kamer, and at the time, Thierry Baudet was asked if Van Haga would be welcome in his party. But Baudet said there is no place for seat-snatchers in Forum for Democratie, despite Baudet's earlier position that seat-snatching was something good for democracy. Baudet's opinion probably changed after a large number of his party's representatives in the Senate and Provincial Councils left the party in early 2019 to go on as independent representatives. So anti-seat-snatching seat-snatcher Van Haga <laughs> became a member of formerly pro-seat-snatching anti-seat-snatching Forum for Democracy, but he will not join the party's Tweede Kamer faction uh, because that way we will have double the speaking time and we can team up during debates, Baudet explained in his YouTube broadcast called the FVD Journal. So, uh, yeah, uh, a, yeah. A, a, a lot of hypocrisy going on in the hate. Uh, <laughs> a steaming pile of hypocrisy even bigger than the, uh, than the down-door bonfire, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, it was um, uh, yeah, funny how that works, isn't it? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, as soon as something uh, positive can, uh, can, can come out of it, uh, all yeah. these politicians sort of uh, make an enormous U-turn, a shameful U-turn in, yeah. in their position. Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, it's, I pers- it's just straight up opportunism and uh, you know, yeah. um, and, sh- and shameless to boot and uh, and, and very entertaining, which is uh, the yeah. main thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's yeah. the main thing. Um, I'm not I'm not opposed to 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 seat snatching. I don't think it's something bad as well. But you know, if your position is that uh, 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 independent MPs are not entitled to their seats if they leave a party, then uh, you know, you should stick to it and not mm. uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, welcome them to your party if uh, uh, promise you to bring their seats with them. So, yeah, it's um, it was an interesting week. Uh, yeah, but, but but to nobody's great surprise, uh, Van uh, Wieben van Hagen failed the test of integrity. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he 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 failed that <laughs> test many years ago. So. Exactly. In this week's episode, we'll update you on the latest coronavirus statistics and the government's steps to relax the intelligent lockdown. We'll tell you about the latest episode in the ongoing and never-ending Belastingdien scandal, and we'll make a short trip to Brussels to explain the Dutch position on the EU's coronavirus recovery plan and reveal why international media has been writing about Mark Rutte in the last week. The next steps in relaxing the intelligent lockdown will be taken on Monday, that's June the 1st. 
Cafes, bars and restaurants can reopen from noon and they'll be hoping to cash in on the fact that it's the Whitson holiday. They'll be allowed a maximum of 30 visitors who will have to book in advance. Customers can sit in family groups or with one person from outside their household as long as they keep one and a half metres apart from other guests. Museums, cinemas and theatres can also reopen, again with a limit of 30 pre-booked visitors at a time and tickets will be time-stamped. The limit on visitors will increase to 100 on July the 1st if the virus stays under control. And of course secondary schools are going back on Tuesday, although many children are only going in for two days a week. Primary school children will be able to resume a full five-day week uh, from next week and face masks of course will be compulsory for anyone travelling on public transport. So good news about the schools going back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so are you excited to get rid of your children, Gordon? I'm almost as excited as they are, I think, about the fact that uh, the schools are starting again. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Very nice. And did we all buy face masks for the public transportation situation already? Or no, because I'm just not going to travel by train. Mm. I have a face mask because I have to go by train. Yep. I have I have three. Yeah, I have two. So figure you can wash one and wear it the next day. Yeah, you did, yeah. Uh, well, you're supposed to have a different one for your return journey, aren't you? You wear one on the way up, out, and then oh, but that, really? one's that, that one's dirty, so you should wear a clean one on the way home. Hmm, yeah. That makes sense. In, in, in as much as the whole thing makes any sense at all, because you're not allowed Is to wear Is that an official regulation? Masks. I think it's an, I think that's advice rather than regulation. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're so just going to have to... Um, uh, one of my um, children goes to school on um, uh, organised transport because yeah. um, the school's up in East Coast and they've been told to have um, take two face masks, one for the way out, up and one for the way back. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in that, I don't really think any of this makes any sense. I'm not no. super worried about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially because you are obliged to wear a face mask that doesn't work. Yeah. Yes. But on the, the face... other hand, unlike the rest of my compatriots, I will not be standing in front of Parliament with a bunch of guns protesting this. I will just wear my mask because I live in a society and that's fine. Yeah, you get the idea of the social contract, which is good. No, I'm just I'm just being brainwashed by the powers that be into oh, yes, that as well, behaving obviously. to being a sheeple or something. <laughs> yeah, into being know. compliant. Insert yeah. some you, insane you, conspiracy theorist yeah. stuff here. You, 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 you're not going to be. Um, uh, did you see the uh, protester who was was out in a bikini and a mask on her eyes but not over her mouth? Oh, it wasn't kind of a bikini, bizarre... Gordon. She was wearing masks to cover oh, up. Oh, right, she was wearing masks covering up the areas that needed to be covered. Yes, and right, then yes. she also accessorized. She had like mask <laughs> ankle cuffs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but did... not over her mouth. And this yeah. was like a protest thing. Yes, yeah. I did see that. I tweeted yeah. a photo about that with the caption. When people ask me if I want to move back to America, I'm just going to send them this photo. <laughs> oh, it was an American protester. Yeah, it's an American protester. Of course. Protester. Yeah. Of course. Um, so, uh, Gordon, have there been any changes to the restrictions? Uh, yeah, there are small. There's some small uh, adjustments announced uh, last week. Uh, some good news for sports clubs because um, they've been told they can reopen from July the first if the infection rate stays low. Um, that was originally September the first. Um, the same will apply to casinos, uh, sport club canteens, and wellness centres. Uh, gyms in particular have been lobbying hard to bring forward the date when they can reopen. Um, and uh, Basic Fit's share price went up by 15% on Thursday hmm. when the news broke. So obviously it's a big big deal for them. And uh, I've been seeing you tweeting some graphs, Gordon. How are the uh, how are the numbers doing? 
The general trend is still downwards, but it's been this uh, slightly mixed news. Uh, the death rate's down to an average of 18 over the last seven days, and hospital admissions are now uh, hovering around kind of single figures, um, just over, just under 10. Um, in gen- overall, there are 182 COVID patients in intensive care and 695 uh, more in, in on regular hospital wards, but we there was an increase in the number of infections over the week um, after four weeks of steady falls, and a lot of that was the result of an outbreak at an abattoir in Helderland, which we'll get into later on in the podcast. Um, but there are also some uh, upticks in Utrecht and Zeeland, um, so little sort of localized um, uh, flare-ups, I suppose. Uh, there could also be more cases from next week because that's when the government uh, is planning for everyone who has symptoms to get testing, and they're sort of anticipating they'll have about um, 600 um, uh, positive tests uh, a day out of 30,000. Oh, so wow. um, yeah. that's going to uh, change the figures if, if, if that bears out. Although so far, I've got to say, I mean, the number of tests has been going up slowly, but the number of um, positive tests has still been coming down. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, more tests, of course, means more cases. So, yeah, uh, yeah that we, we will see definitely see an increase in uh, the number of corona patients after yeah, but, but I guess the June number to keep an eye on is kind of the proportion of positive tests because that's yeah. about 5% now whereas it was 30% um, yeah. weeks a, a month or so, a month and a half ago yeah um, exactly and also the number of deaths uh, that is decreasing is a good indication that things are yeah. moving in a good direction of course yeah definitely of course and the the, the total death rate that's measured by the um, statistics agency CBS is now actually below the average. Um, yeah, I really saw got, that. That was an interesting yeah. statistic. Yeah, because yeah, it got to the point where I mean, the, the, the theory with that is that they say that often happens after outbreaks because what happens is that people die earlier than they otherwise would. So especially elderly people who, yeah. who, 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 who would have died in, say, April, die in March to get COVID. They have their life, they have their, they have their life cut by a month. Um, because yeah. they, they're on the, you know, they were very frail already and then the virus just kind of finished them off. Yeah, so and you, I, f- I feel like there must be some... Like, I mean, considering you can't go to the bars and you can't go to festivals and stuff, that there's like none of these things happen where like accidental deaths and stuff like that occur. I mean, there must be some decrease from from just merely being in lockdown, I would assume. Yeah, less travel, less people on the yeah. road, stuff like yeah. that as well. Although road yeah. deaths haven't gone down, have they? We had the, we, 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 oh, yeah, we, that's we right. had that story the other week. Yeah. That although road accidents have gone down, road deaths have not. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, which which I quite bought their explanation for this i thought it was which is is that that because people who are still driving know that there's like no one basically on the roads they're driving more aggressively and so when they do get into an accident they're they're more likely to be fatal basically mm. yeah 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 so uh, how do you feel in general about uh, the, the, the 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 lockdown easing uh, do, do we feel like um it's it's been managed well i think so i mean it seems like they're making slow opening decisions. I mean, I think I'm fairly convinced by most of the evidence that aside from healthcare and in household spreading, that this disease is mostly spread at, you know, big crowded events where people are talking and screaming and stuff. So, you know, your, your sporting events and your music festivals and your, your churches. Um, and so those will remain closed for a few more months. I think that that seems good. Um, I mean, you know, things seem to slowly start be getting back to work for a lot of people, but I know a lot of people who are still going to be working from home for the foreseeable future, particularly if they take public transport to get to work. So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. are you guys chomping at the bit to go back to the bar on the 1st of June? Has anybody made a reservation? 
No, no I didn't. No, no, not at all. But I, I am afraid that a lot of people will um, try to go to a bar or go to one of the terraces, and yeah. uh, that will definitely lead to some sort of, uh, yeah, some upheaval and some yeah. upheaval and uh, some. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about uh, June 1st, uh, yeah. especially because it's, it's an entirely new situation. Uh, all the bars and all the cafes and the whole they have been preparing for reopening, um, you know, since the start, basically, and uh, try to, to, to put all the seats and all the tables one and a half mm. meters apart. But, yeah. you know, it hasn't been there, uh, even though they have been preparing a lot, it hasn't been tested yet, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. how will that turn out? Um, and also, if I look outside and I walk outside, then um, it strikes me that so many people are outside. I mean, of course, it's nice weather. I understand that you want to go outside, but um, uh, uh, I have a feeling that a lot of people think that uh, the crisis is over or mm. almost over, right? Yeah. Even though uh, uh, these these small outbreaks uh, that we've seen in the past weeks, these small up, these small flares, they show that uh, society is still vulnerable for the virus and. Um, uh, only one person needs to be infected and needs to be spreading a lot of the virus uh, uh, in a crowd and all these people are infected, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to see a second wave, especially because a lot of people are... Yeah, I suppose, I was worried about that as well. I, th- I think people are getting a bit blasé and thinking that, uh, as you say, the, the emergency is over and they don't need to, you know, the, the, uh, the one and a half meter rule is not so important anymore when it's, you know, th- that is kind of the thing that, uh, the most important rule of all. And that, that yeah. uh, I was worried as well about the, the, to be honest, the face mask situation because you're not allowed to wear actually medically effective face masks. And so, I see a lot of mixed messages in the sense the government has said this is an additional measure. You're still supposed to keep one and a half meters apart. But at the same time, they also say the face masks are for situations where you can't keep a meter and a half apart. So that seems very confused yeah. to me. And people are actually wearing face masks in situations like in the train yeah. where you're going to be sitting in an enclosed space next to people and you're not going to be moving we sitting in close proximity to people for half an hour or longer. That seems to be the, and that's all the evidence is that's the optimal situation from the virus point of view for infecting people. And you're all you're wearing, you got your face covered with a piece of cloth that doesn't really do the job. And when we saw, I think, the Our Day did a survey this week saying that about half of um, surgical masks that have been ordered by um, care institutions are not uh, are not effective as substandard. You think, well, if they can't get decent masks uh, right. from what they thought were reliable suppliers, then how the hell are the masks that you and I order from Amazon um, going to do the job? So I'm just going to avoid public transport. Luckily, I can. I've got no need to go on the train. Um, but I'm concerned that the government's leaning a bit too heavily on face masks to protect people when the masks that they uh, are telling people to wear, I don't think uh, will do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not... You know, you don't wear a face mask to protect yourself. You're supposed to wear it to protect other people. Yeah, but it doesn't do you. doesn't do that job either. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I guess it depends a little bit on what you know. There is some, I think, evidence that if you wear something over your mouth, it does stop the spread of some stuff. I mean, I don't think it's particularly in fact effective, but you know, I think that it's better than I guess not wearing them on public transportation. Um, I mean, I guess I personally, like as a healthy, you know, relatively young, healthy person, I'm not terribly concerned about getting Corona or like, I mean, I know that younger people have gotten it, that it's been very terrible, but I think that like, that's been 
those cases have been fairly rare. So I, I don't spend a lot of time being worried about that. What I think I'm wor- more worried about is what Paul was saying, which is, is that there, you know, people sort of not really adhering to the rules and that like, you're going to see, I think a lot of incidents of people kind of behaving badly and kind of the stress of being in a situation where you sort of don't know, you know, if people are taking things seriously or not and how upset they're going to get if you want to sort of enforce your own social distancing rules. So yeah, we, I had a conversation with my partner where we were talking about whether or not we're going to go back out to which his response was, I mean, I can just sit at a table with you at home and drink a beer. Why do I need to go to a bar to do that? Yeah. Uh, which was a fair point. So I, I don't expect that we're going to be going out anytime soon. And I hope, I guess, that enough people will be concerned about these things that that will, you know, keep some segment of the population at home, which sort of limits the spread of the disease through the population. Yeah. So. And it's kind, of, it's kind of been talk as well, hasn't there, of like, um, uh, you, you know, um, uh, some bars are going to hold like like parties or events on the 1st of June to celebrate yeah. reopening. It sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. So the, yeah, the other exactly. concern that I've got is, okay, um, the bar is um, um, limited to 30 people, but I mean, how are you going to stop people just kind of hanging out in the street just yeah. outside the bar, especially on a nice warm midsummer evening right. and, you know, and sort of congregating and mixing? It's going to be very hard to stop, I think. You know, once you go out for a drink, you're kind of in the mindset of wanting to well, stay out and hang out with your friends. So. As we'll discuss later, this is why you need to give the Boas submachine guns so they can cut down <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we could do actually is just arm all of our dogs with giant sticks and have them walk through the mm. streets and just smash giant sticks into people who are not maintaining social distance. I mean, that would Truby be very would be effective, totally yeah. up for that game. Yeah, that you sounds like a great to, game to him. Yeah, you need to get a stash of one and a half meter long sticks for Truby to carry in his mouth and you're sorted. Well, so it's funny you mentioned that and I realize that you are not aware of this because of course you have not been to my house in months. But no. Truby has started accumulating a stash of really long sticks that he's been dragging home on his walk to the point now, yeah, where we have like a giant stack of sticks in the front garden. <laughs> Paul has seen this, I think. Yeah, the, the enormous pile of, uh, yeah. of branches and yep. wood and sticks. Yeah. yeah. So he is Truby. Maybe this is what he's been, been preparing yeah. for all this. Maybe, time. maybe, he's maybe, just, maybe he's building a a downdoor bonfire in your front yard. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> he could well be discussion. doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're, they're getting ready to celebrate the end of lockdown with with a massive uh, conflagration. Everyone's favorite tax scandal is back, and this time it's confirmed to be racist. Hasn't, hang on, wasn't it confirmed to be racist all the other times as well? No, but this time it's been officially confirmed to be racist. The okay. tax office has officially <laughs> confirmed that it was racist. Mm. We've talked about this at length in previous podcasts, but to recap, the tax office for years wrongly accused people of abusing the child care benefit system, revoked their benefits, and forced them to pay back sometimes tens of thousands of euros without an appeal system. The finance minister stepped down, the department has been reorganized, and two weeks ago, the tax office finally confirmed what long had been suspected. It used dual nationality as an indicator of fraud. This is despite a change in regulations that kept local governments from tracking that information. The tax office just kept using old lists. Unsurprisingly to no one, people found this, well, terrible and racist. Many people, of course, who hold dual nationality are of an ethnic minority background. Now, in what may be the smartest move made in the entire affair, the finance ministry who oversees the tax office has asked the public prosecutor to investigate if criminal charges should be filed. 
This is basically bonkers because it rarely happens. Generally, civil servants are protected from such charges. Then it was revealed that senior officials were told they would essentially be given immunity, not from prosecution, but from professional punishment in exchange for cooperating with the internal investigation, which of course only came about after RTL and Trow published stories about it. Yeah, although those guarantees were given by the uh, by the guy who's now left as head of the uh, Belasting Deans, so yes. it's questionable whether they will actually be honoured. When it, so yeah. I think the but the fact said, that they were made diff- in the first place oh, is, yeah, absolutely. Is, totally. is real, real yeah. shit. It's garbage. Yeah. Uh, so there was also a debate about the Belasting Deans this week, right? Yes, on Wednesday, MPs debated the scandal. Alexandra von Hoefele, the new Minister for Allowances and Customs, that is a new role created because after the last guy quit, they decided the job needed to be split in two. She faced her first debate in Parliament. There was a lot of criticism because a lot of MPs think the process of paying people back is moving too slowly. Uh, At the end of last year, they had claimed that everybody was going to get paid back by the end of the year. This was sort of like around the beginning of December. That hasn't happened yet. Um, People have lost jobs and homes over this. They've owed back tens of thousands of euros and back benefits. My biggest question is why she took this job. I do not understand. It seems terrible. And also she has very strange hair. I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be said for having Harry Potter characters um, appointed to um, positions in government. This is, I yeah, mean, so, in, this, yeah. in this particular circumstance, I'm glad we have a Harry Potter character and not a Bond villain, for exactly. example. Yeah. Um, but there's no, maybe just not enough to, money maybe, in the world to just want to take this job. Yeah, maybe she thinks she can just ma- magically make the uh, problems go away. I hope. You know, I mean, I wish she could magically make like the that. problems go away. These people have had their lives destroyed. It is dreadful. Ridiculous. Yeah, to be serious. Yeah. So. Uh, but, and, and, and the latest twist in, in this garbage saga was that um, some of the parents um, who, who were the victims of uh, this heavy-handed um, uh, policing by the Blasting Deans got letters this week, um, not to be told them uh, they were going to be compensated, to be told them they weren't going to have any compensation. Right. right. Yes. So about 10,000 parents yeah. were sent letters. So the, this, I don't remember which MP it was, the socialist MP said yeah, something so in the debate. Yeah. To, oh, yeah, was it her? Yeah. Um, to the effect that, like, they shouldn't be asking people to prove they didn't prove fraud, right? Like yeah. the standard should not be that you have to demonstrate that you were not wrong. The standard needs to be that unless the tax office can prove that you were wrong, yeah. you're going to get your money back. Yeah. yeah. What's happened is that these parents have been grouped into uh, some various groups of, depending on how, how exactly they're affected. Uh, so, so, so they've, they've done a very Dutch thing. They've kind of, um, they, they divided and organized them into sections and then given them an acronym because they were called, the, it's called the CAP fraud. <laughs> I've forgotten what that stands for, but anyway, that's what it is. But uh, parents, but some parents were, were told by the blasting dean saying that don't join a class action um, because you, you owed a lot of money. So did, we just review your case individually. Now they're being told because you're not in one these clusters you don't qualify for any um uh, any any compensation so yeah, it's clear. it's just these all over the place yeah. this are gonna go on for forever yeah. Yeah. Oh, this blasting these oh fuck's sake i just at this point it would have to be cheaper and easier to just literally pay back anybody who had their child care benefits cut during this period of time because at Mm. this point i mean like the amount of time and effort that's being spent on restructuring and hiring new people and holding debates and being sued about this and like Mm. all of this kinds of stuff if they had just paid everybody back with some sort of like we're sorry we screwed up bonus of 15 percent over what was owed or something like this and it would all be said and done and we wouldn't have to talk about this anymore and those people would not be in the terrible you know, financial situations. And, and it, it, it would have to be cheaper. 
Yeah, and you just see this increasing erosion of just public trust in the tax service, yeah. which is just bad news. Uh, yeah, and, they're, they're, and they're also, in a situation where they behaved so abominably, they should really just overcompensate and be over generous. Yeah. And, and also, there's, a few there's, also, this government agency needs to remind that they are part of the government and they, they are there to, to, to help people and not financially ruin them. And right. after that, yeah. Uh, 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 make their lives even even worse than yeah. than they already did. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think the takeaway from this, I think, is is that if you get a letter from the tax office saying that you need to pay back benefits or that something has been done wrong or any of this stuff, you the first thing you need to do is just immediately call a lawyer. Like <laughs> you cannot interact with this agency without very strong legal representation. And I don't mean like some guy that you met at a party one time. I mean, like, Google for tax lawyers, pay the money, because otherwise, I mean, I think I would be very worried that I was going to end up in three or four years like these people are. You know, people lost houses, people lost jobs. I mean, I can't even imagine the stress of what it's like to go through something yeah, like this for years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, marriages broke up over this, you know. It's, yeah. It's, it's ruined people's lives, definitely. I, th- I think part of the uh, problem as well, though, is, is that there was a political culture for about a decade of um, thinking that clamping down on benefit fraud by all means possible was a good thing and was good for society and now you've seen that the excesses that that's led to and part of, yeah. and a lot of the politicians who are now uh, um, in parliament were also in government at the time when when, when this was going on and that's why you see like the, the, um, the, the, the kind of main opposition to this has been driven not by the but by the Labour Party you think it's been an issue for them to pick up and, um, and, 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 and work with but the problem is they were in cabinet uh, yeah. for you know half this half this time and so it's been the Socialist Party who's been kind of doing doing most of the running on this and a couple yeah. of independent minded MPs like Peter Omzicht who've done really good work in exposing yeah. you know and standing up for the families and exposing the excess of the belasting deans but a lot of um, uh, politicians from the mainstream parties are totally compromised because they they either set the system up or they kind of didn't intervene when or weren't aware and didn't intervene when when it was at its worst yeah, yeah and uh, one other thing to be said for this is, is that the reason that all of this came to light is because of a couple of very dogged journalists at rtl and trow and yeah. i had interviewed a couple of families and lawyers involved in this case because I'm working on a a story about it and everyone I spoke to had just extremely glowing things to say about um, the work that had been done there and this would not I don't think we would be nearly aware to the extent of how bad things were and I don't think that we would be nearly sort of on top of all of the stuff that's continuing to happen if they hadn't stayed on top of this story so it just goes to show like the importance of these kind of investigative journalists doing this work. The Netherlands, together with Austria, Denmark and Sweden, have submitted their own COVID-19 recovery plan to the European Commission in response to a joint plan by Germany and France. The Frugal Four, as the Netherlands and the three other countries are known, are the strongest opposers of the French and German plan, which involves a one-off and temporary 500 billion euros recovery fund offering grants rather than loans to countries that are economically hit by the coronavirus crisis. The Franco-German plan involves borrowing money from the market in the name of the entire EU rather than individual countries. Uh, Additionally, countries benefiting from the fund will not be required to repay the money. The Frugal Four strongly oppose both of these aspects, which they see as giving away gifts, while supporters call it solidarity. Uh, Meanwhile, the European Commission unveiled its own proposal, which involves 500 billion uh, in grants, but an additional 250 billion available as loans. 
The Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, speaking for the Frugal Four, responded positively to the Commission's plan, saying they are encouraged by some aspects of the plan, especially the time limit and the one-time nature of the emergency fund. The Chancellor added it represents just a starting point for negotiations. And you're going to have to remind, um, uh, you're going to have to remember that uh, this plan needs to be approved by all member states. Yeah, all 27 member states. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, that's going to be uh, a lot of fun in Brussels the coming weeks. Lots of uh, lots of work for Hoopskra, who everyone just loves in Brussels these days. Yeah, so. yeah, his, his star has never been, uh, uh, never been higher. Where, um, where's the commission going to get all the money for this uh, extremely generous, totally irresponsible spending plan? It's <laughs> moral hazard, I think, moral is the phrase you're looking plan. for. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to spend it all on wine and women, drinks and women. What's the yeah, yeah, but I, I, I've seen a magazine cover as well. Yeah. Yeah. The guys in moustaches can be sitting on pavement cafes all day just, just, just burning money from hardworking Dutch people in, in the- brown shoes. In the electronic, in the like online version <laughs> of the story, so you're referring to the cover of what is it? Elsevier. The Elsevier Vape Lab. Yeah. 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 Um, there's like a larger version of this image, and then there's also a guy with a man bun playing a guitar, smoking a cigarette. So you know, really, <laughs> really driving all of those stereotypes. Yeah. That could easily be the Netherlands too, actually. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's offensive European stereotypes bingo right there. Yeah. Yeah, and it would be tr- it would be terrible if uh, if all these. Uh, uh, Dutch office workers had less money to spend on on on, on mismatching shoes and suits. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, the commission wants to borrow the total sum of money on the markets, and usually the commission then borrows the money in turn to individual member states who are themselves responsible for, for repaying the money. But the key difference here is that now the entire EU as a whole will be responsible for repaying the borrowed money. Um, and also the commission uh, will either grant the money to the member states or spend it itself on economic recovery projects. Um, member states will be required to submit their individual recovery plans in which they outline how they will spend the money and based on the number of uh, and based on the number of criteria, um, the Commission will distribute uh, uh, the money and they will mostly look at uh, the economic damage um, that the country uh, is suffering from uh, due to the coronavirus crisis. Uh, but the Commission will also um, have additional uh, criteria, such as the plants need to be green enough, so they are really going to use this uh, 500, euro, 500 billion euro fund to sort of push for environmental reforms. Um, so, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. I've been getting a lot of emails about the uh, green recovery plan from the European, various new European desks of, of Parliament sort of talking about all kinds of promoting their ideas to do things like this. Right. Yes. So so countries are not free to spend the money uh, 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 no. how they wish to do so. The, yeah. the commission is clearly setting a number of, uh, of yeah. demands. There's going to be strings attached. Yeah. yeah. And um, if these aren't loans, how is the money going to be repaid? Well, that aspect hasn't been outlined yet in detail, but the Commission is considering introducing EU taxes for large tech firms uh, and, for example, on plastics. But it is clear, though, that the money needs to be repaid by countries based on their relative GDP. And uh, both aspects of this repayment plans are not particularly popular in the frugal four countries. Uh, the Netherlands and its uh, three partners demand monetary aid should be coupled with demands to reform countries' economies and budget discipline, as they like to call it, in order to reduce the chance that uh, they will require more funds in uh, future crisis. Right, yeah, because th- th- that approach worked so well for Greece, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> History has proven that. Yeah. So how did all of this go down in The Hague, Paul? Um, it was 
immediately shut down by the usual suspects, that is PVV, FVD, 50PLUS and SVP, the more EU critical parties uh, that we have in the Netherlands. But it says a lot that the VVD did not categorically reject the plan. So slowly parties are starting to realize that, especially the open Dutch economy can be hit very hard by the upcoming economic yeah. crisis, yeah. If, if nothing... Uh, I think it's been evident sometime that Rutte is, is aware that uh, at some stage he's, he's going to have to move towards a, um, uh, some kind of recovery plan because of just the, 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 the sheer strength of demand for it in yeah. uh, in southern Europe, and just there's this question of how he can actually the, the, the exercise for him is how he can actually uh, move towards that position without you know without losing the support of the you know sort of a, um, the, the very kind of uh, frugal um, support bases that uh, his party, the VVD and the CDR have. Um, I think it was, it was kind of revealing that Vovka Hoekstra was the guy who was caught in the firing line. He was more, much more outspoken about things like moral hazards, which kind of maybe shows his inexperience, whereas Rutter kind of was a bit more uh, measured um, in his discussion of it. You know, he's, I think he's aware that eventually, you know, you, you, the, the nature of European politics is that you, you have to broker a compromise and, um, you know, the, the, the money is going to head from north to south in some shape or form. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to have to find a way to... Um, you know, grant uh, the southern European countries the 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 the, the aid they require, and yeah. also he's gonna have to explain it here in the Netherlands to his voters, and especially the the group of voters who are very EU critical and very easily will move from the VVD to the PVV or the FVD, who yeah, strongly exactly. oppose everything that that has anything to do with euros or with the European Union. So yeah, it's gonna yeah. be. He's going to have to juggle all these uh, pieces uh, uh, in the air, but yeah. Uh, if anyone can do it, um, if well, anyone can Margaret do it, is the guy. Yeah, uh, and of course, an election coming up next March, so that's going to make it uh, add a bit of spice. If these podcasts have added a sprinkling of intelligence to your lockdown, or been the soundtrack to your sourdough baking, why not consider sponsoring us on Patreon? Your small regular donations keep us going and enable us to keep you up to date on the latest news, sport, pandemic measures and political chicanery. To show our appreciation, we give all new patrons a shout out and let them ask us a question if they wish. Actually, anyone who's an active donor can ask a question at any time because uh, we've just relaxed the guidelines. <laughs> Since the last podcast two weeks ago, we've been honoured by three new supporters. Uh, Kimberly Poon says she's the mother of a second year PhD female student at, I think that's a Radboud University Medical Centre, but she did put Rebound, which I think is a better name, actually. Sounds <laughs> like a bad autocorrect. We're not going to hold that against her. No, it's not your fault, Kimberly, which is in Nijmegen, for those who don't know. She lives in Agoura Hills in California. She says that's the home to the singer Chris Brown. And she asks, do you know any famous American stars with homes in the Netherlands? Oh. Do I know them? I know Madonna once lived... Is she American? Yeah, she's yeah. American, yeah. right? Yeah. She once had a penthouse in the Rotterdam building in Rotterdam. But I think she never visited it, but she owned it for right. a while. It's got to be like DJs, right? Like yeah. some famous... That would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, I believe Prince uh, was also very fond of the Netherlands, so uh, he very often went to the Netherlands. I'm not sure if he actually had a home here, but uh, he was here all the time, basically. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about any um, singers or actors who have uh, homes in the Netherlands, but I think a lot of them have bank accounts. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. But, but Bono, famously, of course, spends a lot of time. Right. Well, he's, he doesn't spend much time here, but his money does. His money does. Well, his, <laughs> his money spends a brief amount of time here on, on its way to somewhere else. Yes, a brief but uh, tax-significant amount of time. No, I don't think I know any like famous Americans who live here. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, like, some American writers and, like, I know some, like, American journalists who are here and, like, that kind of stuff. But not anyone that I think anybody would really consider, like, famous, famous. No, no, I don't, I don't know about any Americans. The, the one British name that jumps out is Steve McQueen, the film director, who lives in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, that's right. He does live in Amsterdam. It's the best I yeah, can Yeah, and um, there's also a famous British DJ, I think, that I recall that, like, lives here. I feel like there's there's got to be like some American DJ I'm sure who's living in Amsterdam. There's no way that's not the case. So moving on, we also welcome uh, Sergei Amitonov. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Probably haven't. Um, Sergei's from Russia and has lived and worked here for seven years. Uh, he doesn't have a question, but he says uh, thank you for your wonderful podcast. You are cool guys. Thanks for your efforts. And I'm now wondering if Sergei is my mum under an assumed name. <laughs> Thanks for your support, Sergei. Well, well thank you, yeah. Sergei. And finally, uh, yeah. hello to new patron uh, Dini Janssen, um, who is somebody I've known for a long time. So ever since I started going out with her daughter, back when Chris Brown was still in nappies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was Chris Brown even born then, he was. Gordon? <laughs> I actually looked it up. He was three years old. Her question is, are you impressed by the range of experts we have on our talk shows? This seems like a loaded question. <laughs> it does yeah. to me as well. Is there a particular reason that your mother-in-law asked you this question, Gordon? I don't know which particular. I mean, to be honest, I don't watch a lot of talk shows maybe i shouldn't confess that but i don't really get much time for it um so i, Paul I don't is know the which, one partic- that watches, I don't know which particular one um she's nudging towards here i mean i assume that it's a referring to maurice de haunt being on whatever he was on right like it's gotta be a yeah he's gig. always there yeah yeah the thing with dutch talk shows is we we have a number of them and they are competitors of each other but yeah. they all fish out of the same very small pool of experts. Yeah. So if you look at the guests, then basically there is no difference between the talk shows, basically. Yeah. The only difference is, is that the RTL talk show has a commercial break in the middle and the NPO one doesn't. <laughs> Otherwise, like I say, it's the same guests talking about the same stuff night after night. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So I, I think she's referring to that. But yeah. The, yeah. Thing I, the thing I find particularly weird about Dutch talk shows is, is that you know, a lot of times they're like round table things. So they'll have like four or five different people on, um, of which three of which have like nothing to do with <laughs> some topic that's yeah. being discussed. But in true Dutch fashion, they always ask everyone's opinion yeah. and people just say like really dumb and inane things. It's like really a good experience of being at a Dutch business meeting, basically, where everyone is asked to give their opinion, but really only one or two people yeah. at the table have any sort of knowledge base that's like useful. Yeah, and that's kind of been exacerbated during the whole COVID thing, hasn't it? Where, like you say, you have four people around the table often brought on to talk about completely different subjects and one will be a virologist and the others will be like sort of, you know, just like DJs and uh, writers and things who've got no expertise at all and yet they all chip yeah. in. And somehow they often get to talk more about coronavirus than the guy who's actually <laughs> done like sort of 15 years of medical training, which yeah. is quite revealing. So, yeah, um, the other thing I was entertained by was uh, the fact that Maurice de Hond was complaining that no one was inviting him on, in, on, on their talk shows um, <laughs> uh, to talk about coronavirus, at which point, of course, they all booked him. <laughs> and he hasn't been off the screen since. Nope, nope. That was very interesting. And he's completely insane, it turns out. Yes. Let's, let's, not, let's not forget that fact. So, if you'd like to join our select band of patrons and ask us a question, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Gordon's favorite civil servants will not be given weapons, despite staging protests this week. The Boas, or Bautahavon Opsproeng Omtenara, are a sort of police light. Gordon likes to call them professional busybodies. I saw someone on Twitter this week call them mall cops. 
They hand out parking tickets, they track down truants, and recently they've been enforcing corona measures. They claim that they are frequently in danger and need to be better armed, specifically with pepper spray and truncheons. These calls intensified after one boa was hospitalized after he was set upon by teenagers in Imauta last weekend after trying to get them to stop jumping off a pier. During the Easter break, a group of wardens was also attacked in Rotterdam. But Justice Minister Ferdinand Krapahaus said this week that the police should be the only ones allowed to use violence, which is honestly the most sensible thing anyone has said this week. <laughs> Certainly in the context of uh, police and violence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but their protests have mostly fallen on deaf ears. Rotterdam refused yesterday to arm them. They are planning another action on the 1st of June, or as our favorite Bond villain calls it, Ain you know. <laughs> yeah, he, he, we've seen a, a, a huge increase in, in these sort of attacks, these group attacks. You know, these boas, they walk in pairs and they walk around in the city and they tell someone if they're doing something you know wrong. But yeah, sometimes that um, uh, sparks a lot of aggression, especially if, if these are young uh, groups of youngsters, yeah, right? So teenagers. Yeah, yeah, we've seen a lot of videos of boas being attacked. And um, yeah, I, I understand their call for more weapons, but at the same time, until now, these are all incidents, I think. It's not something structural. Yeah. But I do think they, they have a point because the boas, they are installed basically because there is a shortage of police officers. Hmm. So yeah, if, if we need to arm these people more, then we're just going to have to train them into police officers, I guess. Uh, yeah, a lot of people just, just explain this as we, we simply need yeah. more police. I mean, it seems to me that the real problem here is that they are doing the work that police officers should be doing. That because BOAs are cheaper, yeah. um, they're often hired via like private security agencies. So there's like some questions, follow the money, had a good investigation into this. That they're hired because it's they're less expensive than cops are. And, you know, cities are trying to cut back on, on how much they're spending on, on enforcement. And so they end up in situations that they shouldn't be in. They, they shouldn't be doing this kinds of stuff. This should be the job of the police. If these, you know, mm. if they have to enforce things where people are likely to get, you know, sort of aggressive, those should not be situations where people like this are in. I was sort of ranting about this last night and my boyfriend pointed out that he's even annoyed that they're tracking down truants, which seems like a pretty benign thing to do. But of course, in the Netherlands, there's a lot of like vike agents. There's like somebody from the police who's like supposed to be responsible mm -hmm. for like the neighborhood and kind of know what's going on. And what he was saying was, is that like the police person should be doing this. They are the ones that should be knowing like who the troubled kids are, where these kids are hanging out, what they're doing. Like yeah. this shouldn't be yeah. the responsibility of parking enforcement, basically. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's that is a very good point. Yeah. I, think I guess there's been an increased number of uh, incidents because uh, the boas have been yeah. more active because, you know, these coronavirus rules have come into force and that gives them more work to do. So uh, but, and obviously you know, any kind of attacks on public servants are terrible and should be condemned. Yeah, of course. But I don't think that arming what are basically traffic wardens is the solution to this. I mean, if anything, it could potentially exacerbate the situation. I mean, they, they work a lot on kind of consent, basically, right? They, yeah. They, they said that their, their first approach is always just to go out to people and politely say, look, can you keep a metre and a half yeah. apart? I think it's it's harder to have that kind of conversation, I think, if you've got a big a big truncheon right. sticking out of your hip, right? I mean, that, that, that actually changes the way that you relate to people yeah. and not in a positive way, I don't think. So, yeah. But anyway, the upshot is that Fred Krapaus has said that, that, that none of these... Uh, 
um, uh, kind of civil law enforcement uh, officers uh, will get to carry weapons, right? Well, some already do, actually. Uh, ah. 780 bows have the authority to use a baton, and 292 are allowed to carry pepper spray. That is a very tiny amount. There are about 24,000 in the country. But they have to have extra training in order to be able to do this. You know, like the police. Oh, so a sort of intermediate level of Yeah, law exactly. So it turns out that there's, like, another solution that could be, which is, is that you give them some more training before you do this. I mean, I still don't think, I think you should just hire more police. You know, you train police officers for a reason, that they should be given yeah. training to deal with this kind of stuff, and... Would it be awfully cynically me suggest to suggest that uh, enthusiasm for hiring these boroughs comes from the fact that unlike the police they don't have a very strong union behind them and uh, nice fat pensions to, to retire uh, unsurprisingly I don't disagree with you on this Gordon I think that has a lot to do with it I mean the other thing I think has a lot to do with it is, is that they're sort of rightly you know not super always respected because they're not the police um, and people sort of poke fun at them like Gordon does and calls them neighborhood busybodies or whatever and so I think that there's sometimes a feeling that they should be more, they should feel more important and one way to do that is to carry weapons and that's like from a public safety standpoint just the worst thing that you can do just to give somebody who doesn't feel important enough the ability to beat someone with a stick We've uh, seen a number of small political stories in the past two weeks, so we thought we'd just give you a little roundup. We start with the CDA, whose chairman, Rutger Plaum, has said he cannot envisage his party joining a coalition government, which includes the far-right Forum for Democracy, after the next general election. Uh, this will take place in March 2021, which is uh, less than a year, well, 10 months ten now, months so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's creeping it's fastly up. approaching. Yeah, we're all forgetting about it because of coronavirus. Indeed. The Christian Democrats in North Brabant are taking part in a provincial coalition with the FVD, a move which has proved highly controversial within the National Party. In an open letter to party members, Rutger Plaum says that he does not see this happening on a national level. Multiple statements made by the FVD's political leader do not rhyme with the principles that we in the CDA hold dear, he wrote in a letter. Uh, it is the first time the chairman commented uh, directly on the alliance in the southern province, and in particular the continual calling into question of the legal system and academia, conflicts with our norms and values. Uh, wrote. He didn't mention Baudet's name in the letter, but it was clear that he was talking about him. Mm -hmm. The CDA is currently without a political leader, and both Finance Minister Bobke Hoekstra and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge are after the job. Uh, Hoekstra has said he will not join a coalition with a party which does not respect democracy and the rule of law, while the Jonge has said that he does not see a coalition with the FVD happening. So Hoekstra is much more outspoken against FVD than uh, the Jonge is. Yeah. Then moving on to uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte, he has confirmed that his mother died nearly two weeks ago at the age of 96. Uh, Mika Rutte-Dilling was living in a care home in The Hague, with, where several residents were infected with coronavirus, but uh, she had recently tested negative, so she didn't die of uh, coronavirus. She died on May 13th and was buried in a private ceremony last Friday. In a statement, the Prime Minister said, as well as the great sorrow and all the precious memories, there is a prevailing feeling for my family and me of gratitude that we have had her for so long. Rutte had been unable to visit his mother since March 20th, when all nursing homes were closed to the public to prevent vulnerable residents being infected. Uh, Rutte also kept working after his mother died. Uh, a day after her death, he chaired a cabinet crisis meeting and held his standard Thursday press conference on the coronavirus. And this is, of course, in sharp contrast with the behavior of some other European leaders, such as the Polish Prime Minister, who visited a cemetery even though his government had officially closed them. 
and uh, also, of course, um, a certain prime ministerial aide of the United Kingdom who broke basically all the rules that were there. And uh, yeah, the Mark Rutte followed his own rules. So yeah, that sort of attracted a lot of attention, especially in the British press. Yeah, who, funny that. Yeah. Yeah. Like how keen they were on that story. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because of this attention in the British media, I think the New York Times also uh, took this story over and they wrote a piece about uh, Mark Rutte as well. Yeah. They basically wrote a portrait about him as uh, one of the longest serving political leaders in the, in the EU, yeah. but also about uh, how he yeah sticks to his own Corona measures in, in contrast to Dominic Cummings and uh, and others. Yeah, he doesn't think he's above the rules. No, which is for some reason is is something that which comes is, a shock to uh, yeah to people in Britain. Yeah, yeah it's coming it's coming to a shock to a lot of a lot of international press and yeah it's uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the the incident where he cleaned up his own coffee all over again. Yeah, so a lot of countries they said uh, well, our leaders would never do that. They'd expect somebody else to clear it up. Yeah, the the New York Times mentioned that incident as well, and uh, apparently that's very shocking to see uh, a world leader cleaning his own coffee when he spills it. So. Yeah. But meanwhile, Mark Rutte's favorite day party is scoring a record number of seats in the latest polls. The latest Ein van Dijk poll, which came out on Tuesday, shows that 29% of voters would vote for the Prime Minister's party if the elections were held now, giving the favorite day 44 out of 150 virtual seats. And this is almost a record number. In October 2012, polls showed an equal number of seats. But uh, yeah, the number of seats currently is expected to rise. So yeah, he, he might break the record next week. Mm. What is new now, however, is the lead the VVD has over other parties. The second largest party is GroenLinks, and they only have 15 seats. So that's a, yeah enormous difference. Huge. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Next, we have uh, the PVV and the CDA. They share a third place with 14 seats, and they are followed by Labour with 13 seats and Cherubodes FAD with 12 seats. So, yeah, the difference is huge. It's just unprecedented, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've never seen something like this. Interestingly, the shared number of seats by the coalition parties is 74, and that's the exact same number the parties have, have, yeah. currently have. Yeah. So uh, that also shows the broad support the coalition has in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, usually a coalition... You know, has a number of seats, and the polls uh, for the entire period the, the cabinet is serving shows you know much less seats yeah. than they currently have. So this is also unprecedented. Yeah, I wonder if there are going to be any conspiracy theorists out there soon saying that uh, Mark Rutte is uh, deliberately trying to keep the coronavirus numbers sort of uh, up or steady <laughs> so in order to boost his personal popularity. I wonder if anyone who's mad enough to, to put that forward as a theory well usually the conspiracy theorists do not believe in the coronavirus so i don't think that they think the coronavirus is real in principle but i did see some conspiracy theories saying that uh, the vvd owns these pollsters so ah uh, yes is that as well they have a different explanation but they do have an explanation always that, of course and uh yeah the vvd leads and the pollsters ask the, the people they polled why they would vote for the vvd and they say that they are confident in Rutte and how he is managing the coronavirus uh, crisis. Uh, that surprised me a bit because the past weeks we saw more and more vocal opposition against the government's policies and the coronavirus measures. So I was kind of surprised to see that even though we have we hear so many people criticizing the, the cabinet and its policies, we still see so much support by the public for the favorite day. So I was 
kind of surprised by that. Yeah, I'd be interested to see uh, Bode is completely switched now from he was the hardest uh, supporter of a full lockdown sort of eight weeks ago, and now he is the one shouting loudest uh, to release the whole lockdown and to let it open everything back up again. And he's not being rewarded for it. His support in the polls is going down. That's kind of uh, interesting. Although it's uh, in, in, intrinsically, you would think that that would be right. a popular message from people who are tired of lockdown. It's not really um, uh, gaining many support in the opinion polls. Yeah, that's right. Their um, support hasn't plummeted or anything, but both FAD and PVV lost one third of their supporters since the start of the coronavirus. Uh, and together, they only have half of the seats of the FAVD. So, yeah, it's, it's clear who the public is favoring currently. Uh, and then also this week, we saw a number of new political appointments. Uh, it has been announced uh, yesterday that Jan van Zane, who is the current mayor of Utrecht, will become the new mayor of The Hague. Uh, he will succeed Pauline Krikke, who stepped down as mayor earlier this year. Uh, right at the end of last year, I think, because uh, it's been uh, Mr. Stikstof has been uh, the interim mayor. Uh, for the That's last right. I completely forgot about Mr. Stikstof. How can you possibly forget about Mr. Stikstof? Well, there, there was a period of time that he was in the news all the time. He just seemed to have every job in government. Johan Remkes, right? Johan Remkes, yes, of course, of course. That's Mr. Stikstof. There was a period of time early in the year that he was in the news all the time. He wrote all these reports. He, he chaired all these committees. But yeah, we, we he, he had been silenced uh, in a couple of months. So suddenly the whole nitrogen debacle uh, has, uh, has, has, has faded into the background and uh, Johan Remkes is no longer... No, no, indeed. Um, but yeah, Pauline Krikke stepped down as the mayor of The Hague following her handling of the Duindorp bonfire debacle on New Year's Eve in 2018. And also Tamara van Ark, who is currently serving as social affairs deputy minister will become the new deputy health minister. She will succeed Martin van Rijn, who took over uh, from Bruno Bruins as a sort of interim minister. Bruno Bruins stepped down after he collapsed in the Tweede Kamer during a debate on the coronavirus. And it turned out that he wasn't physically able to handle uh, the pressure of his job at that time and it's unknown still unknown who will become the new social affairs deputy minister so that's crazy vacancy yeah and of course martin van rijn can't remember if you mentioned it this time of course he he was a minister from the last cabinet so he was a labor party member so we briefly had kind of a five-party cabinet yeah and he was asked to fill in the spot because of his experience and you know we were in the middle of the crisis we needed a, a health minister who would you know lead the crisis uh, so they asked the former uh, labor minister to to fill in that spot and he did that so that was much appreciated by the cabinet and by the entire country yeah. because uh, in the middle of a pandemic you you want a health minister right yeah. so uh, minor detail <laughs> i mean we got a racetrack bookie so i'm not sure how great that actually is but at least there's somebody doing it um, Paul, is there a reason that there's like so much reshuffling going on right now? Well, the labor, the former labor minister, Martin van Rijn, he was asked to, to become a new minister because we needed someone right now. And the cabinet asked him to be a minister for three months. And during that time, they would look for someone who could take over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they found someone within the cabinet. And that means that that's the reason why we have this reshuffling within the cabinet. But they could have easily found someone outside yeah. of the cabinet. So that's the reason. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Tarek and Molly Quell. Uh, we'll be, uh, I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Do that. Try to think.
thank yourself that was terrible. and forget me. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I, I just, I just, just blindly... Yeah. You almost forgot your own yeah. name. <laughs> I just blindly read the script and just like Dominic Cummings have too bad eyesight for it. I'm gonna just, start. Just like uh, I'm gonna yeah. start putting stuff in the script that, like. Yes, you should definitely yeah. do that. Yeah, just writing. Go fuck yourself, Sandy. <laughs> I will definitely say that. Just like <laughs> Molly is the best, and Paul just read it out loud. No, I will refuse to. <laughs> say then that. we will. Uh, then we will have it. Have yeah. it on tape. I love it.